So you're the welcome to the Metacast guy. <laughs> and then I shut it down for right. and 40 you don't, minutes. And you don't do it. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, 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 no one feels sorry for this guy. No one. You know, I've listened to some of the past Metacasts. The word count is a little bit more fair than, than, than you may. It's hard to be any less fair. <laughs> Are you done? No. Hey everyone! Welcome to the Metacast. No, did I did I steal your thunder? Good. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Okay. You ready? Oh, so we start over again? We could. Okay. Well, I can just say I'm Josh Anderson. And you can say you're Bob Galen. Oh then we're God. off and running. What am I got to do to make this thing happen? Well, you didn't do it right. You said you were going to do it. All right, you, didn't you kick it off it. then. Okay. Do no, the, we're rolling. We're we going to roll with this. Yeah, this is it. No, we're, we're not. live. Oh, come on, we're not live. We're live. Broadcasting All right. across All right. the entire so universe. So someone's got to do the job here. I'll do it. I'll step up to the plate. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Metacast. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm glad he's he's who he is, and I'm not him. <laughs> Let me tell you, as you if you've been listening, it's been a, you know this is my life. It's a little bit of a trial and a tribulation for me, <laughs> but I persevere for the agile. I do it for I do it for I take one for the team. That is impressive. It is. Inspiring. It is. Heartfelt. So, so Josh, say hi. A tear in my eye. I've got to wipe the tears out of my eyes before. I, I know. I know. I've got to compose myself after that. I, I'm telling you. I've never seen you cry. Go ahead. He's crying, <laughs> Metacasters. He's, he's literally, I brought him to tears. So what are we going to talk about today, Josh? We're going to revisit episode 12, which Oops. is Agile Testing. Okay. So we're going back to our... Going to, back. Going back We're going time. back on going back. We're going to actually keep doing that. Do you that. remember, like, uh, what's his, the guy who had the, what was it, that had the Wayback Machine? Who was Peabody it? and Sherman. Peabody and Sherman. Yeah, they have a movie. I know they do. Yeah. I want to, can I be Sherman? No, you're, you're Sherman. No, I want to be Mr. Peabody. Do you want to be He's Mr. way Pe- smarter. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forget that he's a dog. He's super smart. He is super smart. And I should certainly align you with Mr. Peabody. So I'll be Sherman. Okay, good. So, Mr. Peabody, what are we going to talk about today? Well, Sherman. Episode 12. Episode 12, Agile Testing. Oh. Here we go to the Wayback Machine. Yes. Okay. So that was like five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, We've learned a lot since then. You've probably written five books on Agile testing since then? No, just one. Just one? Just one. Okay. Um, and when you say we've learned a lot, do you really want to be inclusive like that? I think I've learned a lot, but... Oh, <laughs> the cheap shots. The cheap che- What? Okay. All right. All right. Have the you- gloves are off. The gloves. Let me take my jacket off and get... Dude, the gloves, have been, <laughs> the gloves have been off for like 10 minutes, for God's sakes. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so agile testing, mm-hmm. you, you kick it off. I want to give you an adequate word count today. Oh. And since you've learned so much, Mr. P- and you are Mr. Peabody, Mr. Peabody. Right. Do, why don't you, I'll just be Sherman, and I'll be just basking in your wisdom. Okay. Sounds good. 
You want to just take your headphones off and No, no. I mean I might have I might have a slightly useful quip every <laughs> once in a while. All right, so we'll actually get going for those of you that are listening and are saying, "Come on guys, just get to the topic already." Um when I think back to <clears throat> where I was at Teradata at the time when we had the podcast, the big thing was trying to transition from manual testing to automated testing of some sort. Um, at the time, we had none. You would come in and left. We started going in the right directions. We had a couple teams that were starting to write some code to test the code. Uh, a lot of work to just get people over the hurdle of you can actually test code that's written in the same sprint. That was like barrier number one that took months for us to just get mindsets reset with people. Did so, you ever get to that point where you were actually delivering automation? This isn't a challenge. It's not a smart comment. <clears throat> uh, but that is a hurdle. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty big hurdle for most organizations. Did you achieve that then? We got a little bit. We had one team that really embraced it, and <clears throat> the testers on that team invest in, the, in themselves mm -hmm. and were really pushing and actually had tests that were – written in parallel with the code that were read. And once they were all green, we knew the stories were good. So we got there with one team. We acquired a couple products that were a little smaller because at Teradata, that was a monolith, right? right? That was a monolith of monoliths. Right. That was massive. So <clears throat> making a dent on that was one of those things that we started to chip away. But I ended up leaving um, before we got the whole way there. Wasn't part of the challenge there, uh, I think, pre-automation was continuous integration and sort of builds environments and test environments and things like that? As I recall, it's not just as easy. This is true in general, but right. it, it's not just as easy as saying we're going to write automation um, or we're going to write it in the sprint. It's like, do you have the infrastructure in place to do that? I remember the build environment there. Was it done? It was challenging. Alex, the director of architecture had worked pretty hard to get that up and running and it was effective it wasn't as nimble as it could be and making changes to support the testing frameworks that we wanted to use were a little bit harder we made strides and we got some of the tests running with the build so we got there <clears throat> but just the architecture of the solution was so big and so heavy that to get it done the whole way through we didn't get completely there right i mean as i think back and this isn't this is going back to go forward, so we're revisiting, but also thinking about the changes, Metacasters, you know, the things, the, our changes of mind or the things we've learned over time. But I remember back then, and I think it's true today, um, the test organization there, with all due respect to everyone, I'm not slamming anyone individually, but that was a very entrenched test organization in, in traditional approaches. So I think doing anything of engaging them, so what, what my, by my recollection, we were trying to get a whole team view to quality. So you were trying to do uh, automation, but those folks weren't buying it. I mean, in general, as a mass, that was, that was one of the tougher nuts. Did you find that as well? So human resistance is what I'm, what I'm talking about. Was human resistance that part of That was the biggest hurdle we had was we were asking folks to work in a different way than they signed up for. Right. From waterfall to agile, I've got to be transparent now. That was, I don't want to do this. I don't want to share where things are going. I'll come back in three months and say it's done. Right. And until then, go away. And then 
taking testers that didn't want to write code because that's not what they wanted to do and asking them, okay, now we'd like you to write some code to test the code. So that was, again, some more hurdles we had to get over. I mean, I even remember testers, we weren't stuck there. So some of them, some of them would be that. Some of them were, can you do exploratory testing? Some of them were, can you work with developers? Right. Can you just be a, so you, you don't have code writing chops. That's okay. Right. We're not going to fire you, but we'd like you to change your working style and mm-hmm. be more collaborative. And and I think folks were really uncomfortable with that as well. Yeah. Not, there were exceptions, but in in general, right. that, that was part of that. So that's some of the learning there is, I mean, fast forward to today, I still, in my travels, get a tremendous amount of pushback on, on people look at me like I've got three heads when I say the definition of done should include, or my my preferred personal definition of done. If I was a leader on the inside of a company, it would be automation will be done in the sprint with with stories. Right. Uh, and I'll take and I'll take the uh, the velocity hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even think it's I don't even like using those terms. But people people always you know it's a short term velocity hit that yeah, pays off in the long run. Absolutely, it's a maturity hit. It's a quality hit. It's a it's a confidence factor. Right. It's a baseline. Right. It's it's a foundation. Yeah, and uh, and and it's not just the test org, but it's the business also has to buy in. Correct. That we're not going to deliver code. As quickly as you'd like, but we'll guarantee the quality is better. So we're going to slow down initially. And I know I've had troubles with that here. Like, we're really writing these tests. We don't have any users on it yet. Why in the world do we have tests? And it's so that when we do have users, it's not a problem. You know, it's it's getting the mindset change from the org and not not just the testing house. But we are going to invest in quality for real. So we're going to bake it in from the start. If I had a guess, I'd say still like 80% of the companies, and when I say people I encounter, it's both my clients, but it's more so people I encounter out teaching or out at conferences or mm-hmm. something. I, I just am constantly just chatting and gathering data, and I still think 80% of them think that it's impossible to get automation done. Right. Uh, both physically impossible, so the, the leadership team won't buy it, to your point, so you won't gain support. But from an internal perspective, they're like, we're struggling to get stories done, and right. now you're going to add this burden on top of us. Right. So so I think the biggest challenge, and I understand how people get there because it's a huge mountain to climb when you didn't bake it in from the start. So you have a successful product. You have customers that are out there. They have features that they want. But you have this technical debt of tests that you haven't written to cover 95% of your code. So to do that, it's going to take a long time, and people are often unwilling to make that investment, so they just perpetuate the problem. Whereas us here at The Dude, we were lucky 18 months ago to start from scratch. Well, you, have a green, you had Greenfield, right. and, and you have good people, and they understand the balance, and, mm-hmm. you, and, and you have from, right. a, from a leadership perspective, so you invested in that. And it's a, it's a no-brainer. From that point of view, right? From uh, a from a greenfield perspective, right? You're obligated to do it, but I won't say there haven't been times when I've been asked along the way, "Do we really need to do all of this testing?" Of course, absolutely, right. I, it, it comes with the territory, right. and someone has to grab their courage, right, and and support that sort of paradigm shift, 
Right. Right. And it's a, it's leaders have teams have to do it, and right. lead, and I think leaders have to do it. Um, I want to ask you a question. I was listening to part of the Metacast mm-hmm. back then. I didn't listen to all of it, and we were talking about various <clears throat> things in, in software testing. Um, but nowadays, it, it, I don't know if I get traction. I don't know how I explain this. I ask folks, you know, do you have to ask permission? Let's use TDD. Mm-hmm. So TDD is an automation practice. It's a design practice. It's a design aid. It's test-driven development. Um, I would count that as part of an automation strategy. I mean, me personally, I would say that counts towards yeah. test automation, right? We would run it. We would run it iteratively and we would mm-hmm. get feedback from it. Um, I ask people, why are they asking uh, for permission to run it? Uh, I, I'm like, stop asking for permission. Uh, make it part of writing good code. Right. So part of writing good code is writing tests, is right. writing unit tests. Uh that's not ask permission. That's not put it on the backlog. That's mm-hmm. not put it – because if we ask the product owners and they're under pressure, they're going to try to opt out of it. They're not, you know, if they – they'll succumb. A typical product owner would succumb to the pressure. If we ask upward to the CEO or the CFO, mm-hmm. they're going to – they're like, if you're asking me, then it's optional and I'm going to say no. Right. I'm not going to give you permission. I almost am in this place where not hiding it. But there's a line of this is good development. Mm-hmm. Below the line is our job. Shut up and trust us. Right. right. And every point that we deliver is going to be delivered with this baseline of quality and mm-hmm. this baseline of professionalism. And I would I would actually put automation. When I say automation, definition of done includes automating in the sprint. Really what I'm saying is that's the line. D- just do it. Right. Uh, Greenfield or right. legacy. Right. I mean, a legacy might cause some adjustments. But that's the line. Uh, react to that? Do you think it's too is so? Can we be that austere, particularly in non greenfield? Can we can we call can we have a line like that? Is that fair? Yeah, the way I would approach it, and the way I've always approached when you have debt like that, is that everything from here forward that you build uses the model, and then using the Boy Scout rule of you always leave the campsite better than when you found it. Whenever we go back and touch old code, we bring it up to standard. So what I've always done is define the new new, and that's how we're going to build stuff. So don't dig the hole. I have the same. Don't right. dig the hole any deeper. So right. start by not digging any deeper, right. which is we're, we can we can affect what we do from here forward. Right. And then having opportunistic refactoring on the legacy. Right. So things that I do to help that happen is in your CI tools that measure code coverage and everything like that, whatever your number is today – Set that as the minimum. And if the code coverage number drops, fail the build. And then as you get your code coverage up, keep inching up that metric that's going to fail build. So you might be at 3%. Great. Put the number at 3. And if it goes to 2.9, fail it. So that way you're never making it worse. And as you make it better, crank that up. So now it's 4. So move that measuring stick up to 4. So now if it's 3.9, it's going to fail. And then just keep stepping it up. Just so that way you're not trying to tackle the whole world at the same right, time. Right. But you're committing to, I think there's a commitment to quality. There's a commitment to solid work. Yeah. And I, a, lot of the, a lot of that does surround automation. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it surrounds continuous. It's not automation. It's feedback. It surrounds getting iterative feedback right. so we can make course corrections. But I think the thing you said that really hits home is you can't really do this without true CI or CD. If you don't have the automation for the automation, it doesn't do you any good because your feedback 
doesn't come faster. Right. If you're doing all of this to run tests as, as fast as possible, but you run them once a week or once a night, you're not getting the value out of it. So if you invest right. in the CI with every code change to run all of those tests, then you're going to be good to go. And it's going to start to make the difference that you expect. But if you just say, hey, we're going to run tests, or we're still going to run our builds nightly, maybe, yep. Yep. then you're not going to see the difference. I, I agree. I usually make it part of the definition of done for automation. And I, I'm not trying to allude to a billion lines of definition of done, but make it part that we wire it to CI, we run it, we get feedback, right? Mm -hmm. So part of getting it done isn't just writing it. It's not running it once on your desktop, but it's making it systemic, whatever. And that shouldn't, right. and it shouldn't be that hard to do that, to just get it wired and running on check-ins and things like that. So another thing you touched on a little bit about automation and TDD being a part of that global word, um, one of the things that we've been evolving here is who owns quality, right? The obvious answer is everyone. Everybody says that, right? Whenever you ask the question, they always say everyone, of course. But most shops don't actually walk that walk. They say it. So one thing that we've been evolving to here is a lot of the automation code, including the UI, isn't written only by the quality engineers that we have. So it's whoever's in there. We swarm on that. If this is what needs to get done, right. we're going to write the tests to, to, to help that. Where quality is shifting for us is helping define what we should test and how we're going to test it from a mindset. What are the edge cases? What are the, the tools we're going to use? Where is it going to go? Is it going to go in the unit test? Should it go in the API test? Should it go in the UI test? Because we're trying to keep the pyramid and keep the UI test as light as possible. Right. But adding the value. We've done actually a lot of work on the Angular side to compartmentalize a lot of those tests. Um, but it's owned by everybody. So it's not just the quality folks that are writing the test. Everybody writes those tests. And we haven't seen a lot of shops that are doing that like they say when they answer the question, well, everybody owns it. it everyone owns it, but then there's still the silos. So in the last Metacast, in, in episode 12, we talked and we started off talking about Scrummerfall, mm -hmm. which is this sort of pattern where developers work, right? You know that. Developers work on it, hand it off, you know, for the first eight days of a 10-day sprint. Right. Developers are doing most of the work. The testers are sort of writing test cases, but they're not really testing and then suddenly there's a big surprise on <laughs> right. day eight or something, right. and then it gets everything gets you know sort of handed off to QA yeah. or testing. Tables are flipped. Everybody's yeah, angry. The developers move forward to the next sprint. The mm -hmm. testers are left cleaning things up. So that's scrummer fall, and it's just behavioral. To this, I mean, a few years ago, so I did a um, a keynote in San Diego, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, no more than two years ago. And I canvassed the audience, and it was I was talking about the three pillars of right. Agile, the book I wrote. Mm -hmm. And I just was talking about Scrum or Fall just as a canvas the audience. So there's maybe 300 people in the audience. And I think 80% of the people were still struggling with Scrum or Fall. Right. Uh, and most of the folks there were, were working in either directly in Agile shops or indirectly. Someone was doing Agile in their organization. Mm -hmm. So to your point, everyone says, you know, when I ask the question, who right. wants quality – you hear every little voice. Yeah, everyone. Oh, we all own quality. Right. But when you look under the covers, you don't even have to look under the covers. Right. <laughs> when you look, it's not true at all. Yeah. The testers are planning. The developers are not chiming in. The testers are doing risk-based planning mm -hmm. without the insights of the developers, which is a shame. 
automation is, is you know, parts of automation. The higher-end parts, the UI parts, are driven by testers. Right. The lower-end parts are driven by developers. Mm -hmm. Very often, the testers are redundantly coding automation. Right. To cover things that the, the the unit tests have already covered, if they bothered to collaborate, they would realize there was some redundancy and they could remove it. Right. Um, and the behaviors, the behaviors are us and them. The planning, you can you can also see it in a planning meeting, because typically the discussions, the developers are talking about coding and the mm -hmm. testers are talking about testing. Right. Sometimes it's so extreme that the testers go to one end of the table, developers at the other end of the table. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, I don't even know how back then. So six years ago, we were rank, you know, ranking against that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's gotten not that the burden's on us, but it's not gotten any. It's not gotten significantly better. Yeah. So there's a couple things that we've done here to try and combat the silos that are out there. Um, when I started, I was director of software engineering, and Monica was director of QA, and. We said we don't like the silos that we're drawing this all the way up to the top. It's separate. So we did away with that. We're all directors of software engineering. Is that true? So Monica <clears throat> is a director of software engineering? Right. I like that change. Because, yeah. So that's a really – Metacasters pay attention to this. So from a leadership, the messaging of the org structure right. is, is part of the instigation of this. Yeah, we, we, we want to take a strong stance and say we are asking the – um, squads, as we call them, to operate as one unit. Everybody delivers on that. But we're drawing the silos at the director level. We didn't think that sent the right message. And all of the QA folks reported to her. All the developers reported yep. to me. Yep. Right, And that was a problem. So now it's directors of software engineering, Scott and Monica, and they each have squads. Everybody reports to them on a squad, not QA's report to Monica. Right. So everybody reports up to the director, and that's it. They are a unit that's responsible for delivering high-quality software. The other thing that we did was when we started our chapters with Spotify, we had a QA chapter and a front-end chapter and a back-end chapter. I remember you talking <clears throat> about that. Yeah, so then we did away with the, the, the QA chapter and squished that into the front-end and back-end chapter. And said so the front end chapter is about delivering high quality software in the front end. So in our web front end, how are we going to build software? How are we going to test it? How are we going to deliver it? So it was everything that goes along with that. It's the coding standards, everything we're going to do there. It's how we're going to test it, standards for our testing, and then delivering it. How do we ship that software as well? I mean, do you have testers to? I mean, if if I walked out into the groups and asked, you know, testers, could you please raise your hand? Mm -hmm. Would people self-identify, or would or would no one raise their hand? We have quality engineers. Whatever we call, I'll, yeah, I'll take yeah. that. But if I said the right term, yeah, absolutely. It, they're not developers. There's something else. There's another name. So quality engineers. We call them engineers because we want to be building things. So that's another intentional thing of their engineers. They're they're helping us build product to test our code. Um, the, the, the other key thing that they bring to the table is the quality mindset. It's a different mindset that has tremendous value that we cannot lose. But that's what I'm poking at. Yeah. I, I want to hire, and you've heard me say this before, I'm, I'm really bullish on professional testers right. who are passionate about the craft of software testing. Right. Not just writing automation. Right. But the crap part of that is automation, but... The craft of software testing, right? And that's what I was looking. So I was poking at you. You know this notion of a software developer and a software developer or in test, in test. Yeah, where that's the Google thing, the Google right. thing, the Microsoft thing. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you were there, and it we, sounds like you're. And in that case, 
those folks would not raise their hands as we, te- as, as we've as, evolved. So initially, we made a couple quick hires, and then um, one was manual, one was automation, but had that quality mindset. Then we hired some more quality engineers that were more developer ish, right? Um, that have grown in their quality side based on that and got so focused on automation that they kind of lost sight of the quality side. They're trying but to you, do the right thing for the right reasons. Them. Right, but yeah. you, okay. Right. And then so our more recent hires have been quality folks and trying to balance that out because we've also made changes within our architecture to enable quality coding to be easier, to be yep. more simple, to be yep. more organized. We just re-architected it. Um, we actually started testing tools with the code that they're written in. So the front end is JavaScript. We moved to a JavaScript testing framework to test the JavaScript. So we're all, it's all doing the same thing with the same tools. This is a weird question and feel free to deflect it. Do you roughly pay the quality engineers the same as software engineers? Or is there a, so in industry, typically, at least in my experience, is like a 20, there could be as much as a 20 to 40% differential right. lower. We had to fight for that because when I started, um, again, we had that uh, very distinct line drawn in the sand of these are software engineers, these are quality engineers. Yeah. And we actually had to re-architect the job descriptions to be quality engineer automation. But you did and that. And that automation gave me the ability to push back into HR and to do the salary studies yep. and surveys yep. to say, hey, these really are the same thing. We've never talked about that in the Metacast. I was, yeah. it just, I, I'm curious. I did the same thing at iContact. And what I found is we couldn't find, we couldn't find, you know, in the salary studies where you're looking for names yeah. and ranges. I, I, right. You couldn't find it. Yeah. I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find tester ranges. Anything with QA, we had to sort of make up something or find a map, mm-hmm. and it was a development map that HR would support. But I remember how challenging it was yeah. because I really wanted I wanted close to equality. I, I, we weren't trying to go dollar for dollar, but we wanted to sort of – we wanted to level set. We wanted to walk our talk. Yeah. And if it's a team, we wanted to compensate team members sort of independent. We would have done the same thing with BAs. We didn't have BAs. But we would have done the same thing. We would have tried to level set salaries for experience, uh, and and we did a good job of that. So it sounds like we did exactly something along the lines. Yeah, yeah, because what, it because I walked in and it wasn't fair. It wasn't equal, and we were asking them to do pretty much the same darn job. Yep. So we had to work to fix that, and I had to go through the HR and the salary surveys and everything because that's how they manage it. And I understand that they're trying to get a handle on how should we budget and everything that goes along with that. So I had the same challenges of finding job descriptions and wording and naming and everything that made sense yep. so they could get some, some sort of numbers. So that was the, the, the other thing that we're toying with is we recently had a squad that lost um, two quality engineers. One, we moved to another squad because they just needed that person's skill a little bit more. And then a person just left and all we had was an intern. So we had, I think, at that time, we had five developers and one intern. The intern was the quality engineer. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, holy crap. Right. There's no way they're going to be able to keep up. Right. They accelerated. The the intern or the team? The team yeah. accelerated. So we've actually toyed with the current ratio we have is five to two. Oh, so okay. Got we you. have five software engineers, yeah, two, yeah. two quality. This was five to one. So we've toyed with 
six to one. Is that something we can support because everybody writes the quality code for, for us? And Atlassian, I know I'm a fanboy, um, but they're pushing this QA means quality assistance where they are shepherding the squads through delivering quality code. They aren't necessarily, it's more like a scrum master, but from the quality side. They're not doing everything. They're sort of, they can do testing. But they are the shepherd that's making sure that that group of people is thinking about quality the right way, trying to educate them and make sure they're equipped with a way to do that. When I talk about the role of tester and testing and quality, it for those folks, whatever you call them right. at conferences, I talk about that, that I, I don't want to measure their worth by the amount of testing they do. Mm-hmm. I want to measure their worth by what? The, the, the quality of the work, yeah. the quality of the stories, the quality of the pipeline, sort of become quality champions across that team. So they're influencing that stuff. To me, that would be their prime directive. Yeah. And and, the, and initially, most folks are very uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. because today they're doing their entire worth system is around te- writing, you know, writing and running test cases, and that's part of it. I'm not saying don't do that, but I I think there's so much more value that they can drive by partnering and, and sort of inspiring their team, which is where you're going. Right. And the one thing that I want to make sure I'm clear about on on that team that went from five five to two to five to one wasn't that the quality engineers we had on the team before weren't bad. It was just it forced the team to rally and swarm and really invest in quality across the board. It was easy for folks to say, okay, they have it. We're right. good to go. Whereas now there was no choice. They had to jump in yeah. from the very start. So it was a really good thing for that group to see and it helped them click and understand. And it made a big difference. We all got worried like, oh, man, this is – their velocity is going to go down. They're going to be upset and frustrated. We've got to get people hired. And we didn't hire as quickly as we wanted to, but it actually turned out to be a good thing. I mean, Mary and I, so Mary Thorne and I, um, she's a colleague, and we've written a book together on agile testing. But the point I'm bringing her up is ratios. We disagree. So Mary really, we don't disagree strongly, but Mary's a proponent of ratios, so mm-hmm. developer to tester ratios. For budgeting purposes, for team balance purposes, mm-hmm. five to two, she would actually adjust the ratios based on automation. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't doing automation, it would be, let's say, five to one. If you were doing automation, it would be five to two or five to 2.5 or something mm-hmm. or in the beginning. And I'm less. I'm ratio. Yeah, I mean, clearly ratios have value, but I try to de-emphasize them, I think, for maybe the point you're discovering which is, I, at the end of the day, if it's five and five, let's make an extreme. You have a ratio of five and zero, so there's no testers on the team. Right. What does the team do? Do they get a pass for quality, Josh? And no. The, and the answer is no. So it is going to affect their vote. But I want. I don't want it to. Affect, it'll affect their velocity, but I don't want it to affect their their sort of their their quality, mm-hmm. their their collaboration. They're just going to swarm differently. Yeah, so we, we, we actually have an example, which is why we moved one of those testers off of that team. We moved them to a team that didn't have any. And the quality of their code, basically the, the bugs found after the fact, was way too high. We put a quality engineer on that team, things changed quickly. Yeah. And it just became a better product. It wasn't overnight, but they were... After every sprint, they were shipping better code. But they didn't have the skill. Right. When we say professional, it's a ratio of professional people. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be like building a house and you have no plumbers. But and you're going to get the carpenter to do it. And the carpenter's going to do it, right? <laughs> and the carpenter's doing it. 
and you, you, you know, you probably have running water, but I, I would guarantee you that you're going to have more plumbing problems than having a professional plumber do that. Right. And it's, and they're, and it's going to slow down the plumbing of the house. Mm-hmm. It's a choice that you make. Right. I, it's balanced teams. What I'm, what I'm really trying to say is it's, I think, I think the key is balanced teams mm-hmm. working together and swarming around the work. And then the key back to your point on ratios is you can't apply a ratio to every group of seven or eight people. It's not going <clears> to <throat> blindly work. You've got to see, like for this team I talked about, maybe six to one's the right thing. That's what I'm. Maybe that, another team that we have needs the five to two. Maybe they need five to three. See, that's the we argument. Don't know what the right that's the is. argument I have with Mary. Again, not argument, but at eye contact, we had one team that was five to four, mm-hmm. and it was our male engine team. And they, and it was, they that was pretty important. And contact, it was, right? and it was important, and yeah. it had performance implications. And there was lots of like, so in each sprint, it wasn't just automation; it was performance and load testing. Yeah, and it was design of that. And they had to integrate with the architects as they were changing sort of architectural dynamics and interfaces. Right. So I'm not that team needed it. So but I think where it adds value is when you zoom out and you have 20 teams. About five to two, and you're doing makes and you're sense. doing annualized planning, right? And you're saying, "How am I?" That's what I'm saying. It's a yeah. to me, it's a health indicator. Yeah, it's a team loading indicator. Right. It's a discussion generator. But if you look at it as a straitjacket, right? And every team will be five to two. Right. I, I, that's where I sort of get I, I get taken aback. Agree. Because what do you do if you do have one team out of twenty that needs five to four? Now you've just screwed them, and, right. and you're going to and you're going to push back on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you do with the team in the reverse direction? That, that one tester is really not. It's the you know six to one is the right ratio. Right. So be context driven. We beat that to death. What other quality ish testing ish topics for the meta? So in the last one we talked about the automation pyramid. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked about Scrum or Fall. We talked about whole team quality. We've mm-hmm. we've touched on that. Uh, TDD, we spent a lot of time, or not a lot, but we were talking about tools mm-hmm. a little bit. So tooling. Yeah, that's something I want to revisit that I talked about is that we we are making a shift. So when we started, Ruby was the testing framework that we were using across the board, front end, back end, everywhere, um, with Cucumber and all that stuff that was going on. We've since had this evolution to having the tests be in the same tool that the product is written in. So we made it. So this is this is related to the microservices discussions a little bit, or a something? little bit, a little bit. So we rearchitected our front end code and we moved to some of the JavaScript tools to test the JavaScript code because we just felt like that was the best thing to do that testing because the Ruby stuff was working, but we were having to do a lot of customization of the tools to make that happen. So we were kind of jamming it in and trying to have one tool to rule them all. Right. We've since made a shift to. Let's focus on whatever the product's built in. Let's use the testing tools that are best built for that. An open source. So still doing open source. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Angular, Protractor, that's their JavaScript testing tool that they ship with it. Instead of using that, we were forcing Ruby and Selenium right. and all this stuff on top of it. Where once you realize, hey, this is the best tool for the job. So we moved away from the one tool to rule them all to individual. T- and that makes it a little bit harder, right? Because then you have to understand. We have inconsistencies languages. and things. Right. But the but the loss that we had in trying to make that work for everything we were trying to do, it wasn't adding the value that we wanted. And but it since, aligns with your organizational change where you're, you're blending the testers with right. the teams. right? So there's not a test. Exactly. Organization that would drive commonality. Right. 
it's the tester with their team right. together that's picking tools or, or doing what makes sense at the, from a team-to-team product to product level, right? Yeah, so we made that switch on the front end, and now there's a giant debate within our within our tribe of do we do the same thing on the back end? Because we right. still have the Ruby test running API and everything that goes into that, that do we use NUnit and SpecFlow and things like that to right. test the dot, .NET code? There's a bit of a groundswell to support that because it <clears throat> reduces the total number of languages that we need to support as an organization. Right. So instead of JavaScript, Ruby, C sharp, we would now be JavaScript and C sharp. Yeah, exactly. So now um, we don't have to juggle the three and it enables people in the native language to look at everything. So that's, now that's when you're on the front end, it, yeah. it's all front end code. It's yeah. all the same language. It's all in the same tools. It all works the same way. That aligns with your guilds. I mean, it aligns right. with your org structure that Monica is not the director of QA right. rights and of development. So how you're blending the teams and it, it sort of blends, you know, how you how the how your uh, what guilds are working and things like that as well, right? right. So you have some cross cutting, mm-hmm. but you're really empowering the teams, right? So will that how will that decision unfold? Do you think? Um, do you I, think they'll go to native language and get rid of the? Yeah. So we had one of our more senior engineers throw out an idea at a chapter meeting, probably a week or two ago, and everybody's like, "Oh, I don't know. You know, this is working pretty good. I don't know why why we change it and." So he did a POC over the weekend, and in the chapter meeting this Wednesday, he demoed it and said, here, this is how it would work, and showed why it's better, some of the pitfalls. I think we'll get the support we need to make that investment going forward right. probably in a couple of weeks. Um, but I I kind of raised my hand and said the same thing that you said, that this, this kind of fits the model that we're trying to run with. I don't know why we wouldn't do it. Exactly. So, not not dictating, but I yeah. mean, it's it's part of your, and it's not just tools evolution, it's organization. I mean, you have multi-tiered evolution here mm-hmm. that you've been sort of maybe intentionally or just the way it's sort of narrowing in, the way mm-hmm. you're evolving. I'm trying to think of other testing topics, not even that we went into back then, but things that I'm seeing. So the trends we talked about, one, uh, of automation is still a challenge, mm-hmm. not so much from a tooling, but from an intent, yeah. getting it in there. Um, I mean, just within the last week or two, people were talking to me about skewed testing sprints. So we're going to write stories in the test sprint one, and, and we can't test them for whatever reason, and then we're going to skew them into. Yeah. And I haven't heard that for years. And they're popping up again. And then yeah. and then if there's a skewed testing sprint, then there's a skewed, skewed, skewed or screwed uh, automation sprint right yeah. later on. Yeah. And so there's this cascade of things. And, I mean, I, I give them the Bob speak like you would give them the – you know, I would push back on it. But, but what bothers me or what makes me – think is like it's still coming up. There's still these sort of anti-patterns coming up in the testing. The one thing I've seen a lot in the past, like, six months or so that bothers me quite a bit is just um, outsourcing quality, where there's a lot of folks that go, they do their sprint, they build their product, they ship it off to a third party to test it, and then it comes back a sprint later, and they get the feedback. So now you're at a four-week feedback loop from the code that you've written. Well, that's the problem with the skewed sprints. If you ever do the math, I just... And I don't know why people say, but if you do the math, okay, so we build code in sprint one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do the QA in sprint two. If we find bugs, we defer the bugs to sprint three. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bugs get, uh, so the bugs get repaired in sprint three. Then when do they get tested? Sprint four. 
uh, let's say we didn't fix them perfectly. So there's one more loop, which isn't that unrealistic in some cases. Right. So now we're at sprint six. So it takes a sp- five, six sprints to actually bed down a feature or a story. Mm-hmm. I, I, two week sprints. Right. What is that? Twelve weeks. Is that a quarter? That's close to being a. That qu- is about a quarter. Yeah. I'm like my my head wants to explode, and folks are and they're like, yeah, well, we just have to do that. Yeah, and, and there's so many. It's been mostly large companies that are sending it offshore to some third party or something. Well, that's even inside. I've seen that yeah. logic inside. Yeah. If you're doing offshoring, it just it's exas- even worse. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it just exacerbates that. Right. Because there's no there's no document. So now you're getting into the document. So it's not just code. Now you have to communicate in test cases, and you have mm-hmm. to communicate in your stories, mm-hmm. and you have so you have store you have requirement bugs as well as software bugs, right? right? Well, no, no, and the requirement yeah, no, bugs are going to cause point. you to test the wrong thing, yeah. and we have disconnects. So, uh, the other thing I've seen um, is just having distributed teams where the developers are in one location and the testers are in another location. Mm-hmm. So, let's say we're not doing skewed sprints, but you know, we have, uh, you know, you have developers here and you have your testers in the Ukraine and that doesn't work. While it's not skewed, it's mm-hmm. not I, almost as laziness of throwing testing. It's trivial, trivializing yeah. testing. Well, and that's the tone I've heard from the people that are having it be a third party. Like, oh, we don't want to pay for that. Right. So we're going to get it somewhere else right. where it's cheaper. And it's like, so you're willing to spend less on your quality. You, you're just preparing to ship poor quality code. And if you're willing to take that risk that, you know, good on you, but that doesn't seem like a good plan. I know I wouldn't invest in your company <laughs> if so, I knew that. So I'm very anti, I want to come back to what we were saying, because I've been thinking about this. So I'm very anti estet. I'm, I'm very, it goes back to what, what I said earlier is I just software abs- developer and test. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, I just don't like that notion where that, you know, there are no testers. Mm-hmm. And we have developers do it. So the, so we're not going to hire professional testers. I'm just such a zealot around the value that a professional tester brings to a team. Mm-hmm. They bring a different perspective. I'm talking about a good one. Yeah. Someone who is educated and skilled and has chops mm-hmm. in, in how to test and attack organizations. Uh, so I, I'm very anti-blending the folks into development. But at the same time... For 20 years or 10 years, we seem to be marginalizing in, in the companies. Anytime we mention tester, folks look at it as commodity. And mm-hmm. anytime we measure, mention developer, it's like, ooh, you know, we'll invest in developers. We won't invest in testers. Testing is different, right? It's, it's, you know, it's value and low value. Yeah, I, I'm starting to think, do I just bite the bullet and almost sort of what you're doing and just call them engineers and start hiding them in some way so that... Yeah, we, we we put a different first name on them, but the last name is the same. Everybody's an engineer. Yeah. But the first name is a little bit different, and that provides... But does that help? Does that, is that providing cover? It, I'm starting to change my... I still... I don't like the separation or the, or the sort of... What is it? The homogenization. But if it provides the cover, so we're not constantly throwing them offshore, throwing yeah. them onshore, splitting them up, mm-hmm. then then I'll suck that up. I, I've I've had a couple arguments with investors and folks like that about what is overhead, what is not exactly. And if you're not writing code that is executed by customers, exactly, it's overhead. It's overhead. 
So right. I said, okay, how do you measure when a software engineer, as you like to classically de- define them, writes quality code that yep. that users don't touch? Does yep. that mean they're part of overhead too? So eventually your overhead's 100%. I, but so I had to work through that with some folks and get them to, to, to understand the value. But you're there. also doing some blending on, yep. the, on the role side. You're doing some blending. You're doing some finessing. Yep. That's where my brain is going. I'm, I'm, I'm not becoming a Google. I'm not becoming a Googleite. What I am becoming is, is somehow we need to reframe testing. So people would – we need organizations to take the same care with testers as they do with developers. Mm-hmm. And if that means that I need to aggregate the names in some way, then so be it, right? And to me, that's part of why we're all one group. Because as soon as you start to separate them out, then it gives you a slippery slope that you can start to build that chasm. I agree. And intentionally or not, right? Because you wouldn't do it with that intention of separating and defining them. You're trying to identify that these people have different skills. Yep. But as soon as you draw that wall, even if it's one one brick tall, it's eventually going to get some more bricks built on top of it, intentional or not. So as, you, as soon as you provide that, you're opening the door. Yep. So that's well, why. But there's also, the, there's also this historical bias that we're right. talking about, right? Well, yeah. That's, there's just historical. I mean, I've seen it for 20, 30 years. Yeah. People look at – I mean, again – it's the intellectual property versus overhead, right? Mm-hmm. Value versus overhead. Right. So that's something that I think in my coaching, I'm I'm starting to change my thinking and, mm-hmm. and maybe aligning how you're doing it or aligning with Google patterns or something. But we need to start not just saying it's whole team quality, but building somehow buffering the team or protecting the team so they're real teams. Yeah. So we don't look at testing as being fundamental. It's not you and I. It's the entire organization. Mm-hmm. What do we do to protect it? You know, the budgeting process is brutal for testers, right? Right. Uh, people look at it. So you would never. I, I have a presentation that I do that talks about the ROI of automation and how insane it is. So there are still to this day people who do a uh, an ROI calculation that if I automate this stuff, I can fire this number of testers. Right. So they're literally converting bodies based on the automation. And that's their ROI justification, not coverage, not quality, not speed, and not that was learning. a huge fear at Teradata. It's like, oh, if I do this, I'm not going to have a job. But there are, there are companies that are still – there are websites that actually allow you to plug in the, the <laughs> metrics. I have one that I reference in my talk. You plug this stuff in, and in 38 months, you can reduce your staff by 50, whatever it is by 50%. Wow. That's, that's the justification. Would you ever do that for developers? Mm. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about the ones who aren't good, right? But I'm talking about commoditizing your development team. You would never do that, right? So I, I think I need to change, not just I, but we, we maybe we need to start. Maybe Google has something from mm-hmm. a messaging point of view. I think they do, and that's where I started to pick that up. Probably three or four years ago, I started to really get into that when I I had another greenfield opportunity, and I sat back like, okay. What's the ideal way to build this, to organize people, to, exactly. to, to make that happen? And that and that helped. And I bought that book for everybody. That's one of the books that's on the list of, of our reading list that when you start, here's some books you should read because this kind of set the mindset of how we operate. Yeah. And that's one of those. And it's not that we're going to take it word for word. It's an indicator like we've talked about with yeah. other things. And this is directionally how we want to operate. Exactly. We're not going to hire software engineers and test as it is. We're going to hire quality engineers 
because I want folks to know that we're focused on quality, but they're still an engineer. Again, we all have the same last name. Exactly, exactly. I, I like that approach. Where else? Where are we at? Are we getting... So the last time we had a two, we had part A and part B. I don't mm-hmm. know if we d- are doing that this time. Do you feel like there's things that we've untouched? So we can think about it. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. Uh, I'm not sure. We yeah. might want to go back. But last time, we, this was a juicy enough topic that it actually, the first section was like 50 minutes and the next one was close to 50 minutes as wow. well. So we talked. Okay. I'm, I'm amazed. I didn't listen to all of it, but we talked a lot about all it. All right. Then I'll listen to part one and part two. And yeah. For the next and, see, and, and we'll yeah. see. We'll see if it warrants something. But Metacasters, we hope this is the second one. Uh, you know that we, um, the second Metacast where we were going back in the past to then spring forward and see what you know what's different what, in our thinking. Uh, so go back to episode twelve, listen to it if you want. Thirteen's there as well, and we may we may tag team off of it again. Uh, so this is the second one. The first one we did was trust. Mm-hmm. Second one we did is testing. So mm-hmm. it's sort of back to the basics. Uh, by going back to the future, and hopefully you're enjoying this this sequence so far. So please listen. You don't have to, but listen to the first one and then see what's different in our reactions. Yeah. I know I like the trust episode a lot, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see how this one did. I think we touched on some different things this time as well. We did. We did. Cool. So, Josh. Yes, Bob. How do people get a hold of us? Well, best bet is Twitter. That's where I live, so you're going to get the fastest reaction on Twitter. Oh, yeah, you do live on Twitter. I do. I've noticed that. I do. Uh, so that's your best bet. Um, on our website, we have links to an email, uh, reviews, comments. We have lots of comments that were wait. Just the comment engines there. Use it. Get a dialogue with other listeners. So there's lots of people listening to this that likely have similar thoughts to you. So there will be value in you putting comments out there. I'd like it if we weren't the only ones responding to the comments. Absolutely. We have hundreds and thousands of people that listen to this. So leverage each other. Don't have it just be the Bob and Josh show. We're forming a community around the Metacast. Ooh. Oh, my yeah. God. Amen, brother. Yeah. I like the way you think. Yeah. All right. So with that, find us how you found us. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you think. And uh, we'll come up with the next episode. We'll go back to the future or something like that. So from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, or close proximity to the downtown coordinates, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Marty McFly. Shake (laughs) and bake. Take care, y'all.